Good morning. Great to see everybody. Uh, I am so looking forward to getting back into our study of what lies ahead. It has been, boy, it seems like it's been a month or more between uh, me being sick and then uh, just the, the holidays and other, other things that were kind of preempting it. But uh, we're raring and ready to go. A couple quick announcements and then we'll dive into uh, what we're going to talk about uh, today. Uh, first of all, I always like to remind people, because I know we have people watching the video all the time. Uh, in fact, I got two orders yesterday for What Lies Ahead book. Uh, you can get the book if you're not here at Plum Creek Chapel uh, through the Not By Works website. Just click on the store button on the left-hand menu. Uh, if you're here and you don't have it yet and you'd like a copy, they're on the back table uh, here at Plum Creek Chapel. Now, also a couple of other things. I always like to keep you up to date with what uh, we're doing uh, week to week. Uh, last uh, January 4th, so I guess that would be five days ago, Lamb and Lion Ministries uh, on their Prophetic Perspectives TV show aired an interview that I had done with them in December while I was in Dallas for the pre-trib conference. And it's very short. It's only seven minutes, and uh, but it's really a good interview. They did a great job in, in putting that together, so I encourage you to check that out. It's on the highlight banner at notbyworks.org on our website. And also on that same day last week, I did my resumed my usual Tuesday podcast with Christian Underground News Network uh, that we do every Tuesday. And that topic this past week was what the ch why the church needs to prioritize Bible prophecy in 2022. So that one's about a 45-minute audio-only podcast. And uh, we had really some good discussion about uh, this coming year and uh, why it's going to be, I think, critical that the church uh, return to a, its discussion of Bible prophecy, or for those who have not ever really engaged in the discussion about pro Bible prophecy, it's time to do so. Uh, so, uh, also on the subject of the church, our Sunday morning at worship hour here at Plum Creek, we started a new series through the book of Acts. If you were here last week, you know that. And so, we're going to be talking a lot about the biblical model for the New Testament church and what that looks like. And one of the reasons I love the book of Acts, and I'm so excited to be teaching through it again, I've done it before, but it's nice to do it again, is that it obviously it, it's historical in that it traces the first 30 years or so of the church once it was founded on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. Uh, but in the course of doing that, you, you really touch on all kinds of key issues that are still relevant today. Role of the Holy Spirit, church government, ministering to the needs of the body, spiritual warfare. We're going to see a lot of that in the early days of the church. So uh, it really kind of forces you to wrestle with some issues that are very important uh, for us today. And then uh, finally, I want to mention that on Wednesday nights, we are continuing our study of how to read and understand the Bible. We actually resumed that this last Wednesday. Unfortunately, for those of you that are joining us online or watching the videos, keeping up with that series, we had a technical glitch and it didn't record. Uh, so those that were here Wednesday night, we had a good crowd, uh, we're able to kind of enjoy that. But uh, we're going to rehash a lot of what we talked about last Wednesday, next Wednesday, so that those that are keeping up with the videos don't miss out. Um, but that's Wednesday nights uh, at 6 o'clock. All right, so we have been camped out in our study of the end times, uh, this is our 41st message in this series, but it's our 14th message where we've been camped out in the tribulation. 
And the tribulation, as you know, is that uh, seven-year period that is yet future. You see it on the far right-hand side of the screen there, according to Daniel 9. A colleague of mine, by the way, texted me that one of his uh, uh, viewers or listeners had sent him a one of those uh, critical emails in which he said, nowhere does the Bible ever mention a seven-year uh, tribulation. And, and uh, he and I both kind of chuckled and said, well, I guess if you don't count Daniel and Revelation, maybe that's true. But uh, Daniel clearly mentions a seven-year period of time that is yet to be fulfilled. He tells us it will begin when the Antichrist signs the peace treaty with Israel, and it will end uh, when uh, Christ comes back. Uh, to establish the long-awaited kingdom. Uh, the first 483 years of Daniel's prophecy have been fulfilled in history. They started with the decree of Artaxerxes, March 5th, 444 B.C., and ended with the first coming of Christ when, at the triumphal entry, he offered the kingdom and, of course, was rejected by the nation of Israel. Right now, we're living in the church age, which is what you see in green there. Um, Daniel, uh, the way he gives this prophecy demands a gap of time between the first 483 years and the start of the seventh year. And he tells us some things that are going to happen in that time frame, I mean in that gap. Uh, the New Testament comes along and gives us additional information that the Old Testament does not reveal about some things that will take place between uh, what we call the 69th week of Daniel and the 70th week or the 483rd year and the beginning of the 484th year. And namely, that's the church, the church age, which we're living in uh, today. So we've been kind of working our way through the end times, and I'm, I'm doing a little bit of review here just because it's been so long, and we're always picking up new, uh, new viewers and listeners. But uh, uh, the end times refers to everything beginning with the rapture all the way through to the new heavens and the new earth, when, when all of God's prophetic plan of the ages is complete. Um, the last days, by the way, refers to the present church age. So we're living in the last days. The end times will commence with the rapture. Uh, the end times comprises about 16% of the New Test of the Bible, rather. So 16% of the Bible is unfulfilled prophecy, and uh, there's so much in there. We've gotten to a lot of it already, but we're going to get to a lot more. We get to look forward to talking about, uh, you know, things like uh, the the second coming of Christ and all that accompanies that, the establishment of the kingdom, the, what life will be like in the millennial phase of the kingdom, uh, the final battle between good and evil, between God and Satan at the end of the millennium, uh, the eternal state and when time shall be no more and God uh, destroys the old heaven and earth and recreates them in sinless perfection. Uh, so much to come, but right now, if you see the area highlighted in yellow, that corresponds to this 70th week of Daniel, that seven-year period at the end uh, here on the right-hand part of your screen. Uh, so we've been camped out here for a while talking about the seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments, talking about the 144,000 Jewish witnesses that will go throughout the earth sharing the gospel, uh, that, that angelic gospel messenger, and how he's going to make sure that everybody on earth, uh, according to Revelation 14, hears the gospel. Uh, and we're coming up now to the very end of the tribulation, and I want to spend some time talking about a very important city that comes up again and again in the Bible, Old and New Testament alike, and that is Babylon. Now, I'm certain we won't get through all of the material that I've put together uh, as it relates to Babylon 
today, so we'll probably extend this into next week, maybe even three weeks. I don't know. It depends on your questions. And as a reminder, again, since it has been a while, for our Bible study, just like on Wednesday nights, if you have a question, feel free to throw up your hand. Sometimes I might say wait till the end. Sometimes I'll engage and we can dialogue a little bit, but we want to make sure if you have a comment or question, feel free to, uh, to chime in. And I'll try to repeat those for uh, the video uh, because the mic doesn't always pick them up. So the first reference to Babylon in the book of Revelation is in that famous uh, chapter that we've spent some time in, chapter 14. And just before Christ returns uh, at the Battle of Armageddon, which we read about in Revelation 19, the Bible tells us that Babylon's going to come crashing down. Uh, we read, another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. The repetition there is just for emphasis. That great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So uh, I believe the reference here is to a literal, geographic, rebuilt Babylon that will be the seat of the Antichrist's power, the global tyrant that will rule the world during this seven-year period, uh, seat of his power. But that's not all that it is, as we're going to see uh, this morning. Uh, it's more than just a geographic reference. Uh, so, but to, to begin with, uh, before we uh, summarize the role of Babylon in the end times, let's go back and kind of put it in historical perspective. You have to go all the way back to Genesis 10 to find the beginning of Babylon. And uh, it's first mentioned here in Genesis 10, which gives the name of Nimrod, the grandson of Ham. Remember, Ham was one of Noah's sons, as the founder of Babylon. Cush begot Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And notice, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So then you get to Genesis chapter 11, and the inhabitants in the land of Shinar, the southern region of Mesopotamia, are recorded as building that famous tower to reach the heavens. Now we talked about this many months ago in our study that we called What in the World is Going On? But I know we've picked up a few people since then, and so let me uh, review. But uh, this tower, which, was, which became, this was the first one, but it became a very common practice in the ancient Near East among pagan lands. It was called uh, ziggurats, is what the term is, these towers. And you still see some of them in the historical uh, ruins. But it was, they all had religious significance of some kind, but religious in the sense of satanic. They were all intending to sort of uh, do battle with the one true creator God, Yahweh himself. So um, these were these mounds made of, of artificial brick and other materials and things that elevated them up, up high. So if we go back to Genesis 11, we read, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city, this is called, this is Babel, what is today Babylon, and the tower which the sons of men have built. So 
time frame wise, and we won't go back and take the time to establish this, but I did this in that series, What in the World is Going On? But we're dealing with the, the year 2242 B.C. That's when the Tower of Babel was built, 2242 B.C. And this, this, was, a, this was after the flood, remember, after the global flood. And it was a rebellion against God by Noah's evil descendants, namely Nimrod. Um, and God judged the people of the earth at that time, but if you remember, by scattering them and dividing their single language at that time, after they got off the ark, of course it was one family, and then they began to procreate and populate the earth, and it was one language. But uh, at this point, because of what uh, the people of Babel did, led by Nimrod, as we shall see in a moment, um, they, God judged them by scattering them abroad and confounding uh, their language. That's, by the way, the etymology of, of Babel. When you talk about someone babbling, you know, confusing, that, that's where this comes from. Um, and as these groups spread out and became isolated, then certain features like skin shade, eye shape, and other things became dominant in certain regions. Um, but why did they want to build this tower? You always have to look at everything in historical perspective. We're talking about that in our Wednesday series about context and history and what, what was really going on. We have to remember all of this happened within a few hundred years, uh, and, and, and the flood in itself was a judgment of God on the whole world because of the events that happened in Genesis 6. Now, what happened in Genesis 6? The angels, the demons, fallen angels, but the, New Testament, but the text in Genesis 6 calls them angels, left their proper domain, cohabited with women, and created a race of hybrids called Nephilim. And God said, that's a bridge too far. You've, this is, you've gone too far. When you start trying to create life, when you start trying to corrupt the gene pool of the image of God in man, which is what they were trying to do, that's it. So he judged the earth, and only Noah and his, the eight members of Noah's family uh, the righteous, uh, justified by faith, were, were survived. And, uh, and so in that context, here you have another rebellion because the heart of man is desperately wicked. And Noah's offspring, like everyone's offspring, are born dead in their trespasses and sin, the New Testament would tell us theologically. And some of them would believe and some of them wouldn't. And those that are unbelievers became enemies of God. Nimrod was one of them. And he led a rebellion. And we learn something very interesting about this rebellion that Nimrod led from reading the first century historian Josephus. Now, I'm sure most of you have heard of the name Josephus. Uh, his writings are not uh, inspired in the sense of the Holy Spirit leading him to write them. They're not the infallible, inerrant Word of God. But they are a historical document that kind of sheds some lights on things. And uh, uh, his full name is Titus Flavius Josephus. He was born around 37 A.D., so born uh, after Christ had already resurrected. Uh, but uh, he was a Jewish historian, and this quote is taken from his book of Antiquities 1.4.2. And listen to what he says. He, Nimrod, persuaded them, this is the people of Babel, to attribute their prosperity not to God, uh, but to their own valor, and little by little transformed the state of affairs into tyranny, holding that the only way to detach men from the fear of God was by making them continuously dependent upon His power. 
He threatened to have his revenge on God if he wished to inundate the earth again, for he would build a tower higher than the water could reach and avenge the destruction of their forefathers. So Nimrod leads this rebellion, obviously very aware of the flood that had just happened a couple hundred years earlier, and said, we're going to do it right this time. We're going to be prepared. So in case God decides to try to judge us again with a flood, it won't be able to reach us. And that act of Nimrod then uh, became sort of a pattern, as I said, throughout the ancient Near East as time went on, whenever uh, pagan lands would want to rebel against God or make a religious statement against the Creator, they would build these ziggurats, these, these towers. So back to Genesis 11, God responds and says, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Well, now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, and the Hebrew word Babel means confusion, um, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So, with this auspicious beginning to Babylon, with Nimrod and building the tower and the rebellion, Babylon becomes kind of the archetype enemy of what would later be Jerusalem. And so you see from Genesis all the way to Revelation this uh, distinction between Babylon as the seat of Luciferian evil and ultimately Jerusalem as the holy city Mount Zion. Right? And those both take center stage and a key role at the end of time when the final end times prophecy becomes fulfilled and in the um, tribulation. So the Antichrist sets up his re regime in Babylon. At the midpoint of the tribulation, he moves his headquarters to Jerusalem when he uh, sets himself up as God and demands that the whole world worship him as God at, at the three-and-a-half-year point. It's what uh, Daniel and Jesus both refer to as the abomination of uh, desolation. And, but, he, but still, Babylon is still playing an active role so that by the end of the seven years, as we just said a moment ago in Revelation 14, Babylon is destroyed. So essentially Babylon is like the opposite of Jerusalem uh, in Bible prophecy, if you will. It's the evil side. Okay. So the question then, because you know Babylon is, is so uh, prevalent in mentioned in the scripture and plays a key role in prophecy, it has led Bible prophecy teachers and uh, students and those of us that love Bible prophecy to speculate and ask a lot of questions, namely, what nation or city is the best candidate to fulfill the prophecies regarding end times Babylon? So I believe, as I said, that it's a literal rebuilt Babylon, but I think there are other factors to consider, and I'm going to explain why, or at least begin that process uh, this morning. Uh, but you see a lot of other references to to cities and nations that, that uh, play a role in the end times. For example, uh, Daniel and Revelation both talk about Rome and the rebuilt 
revived Roman Empire. Remember Daniel in Daniel 2 and 7 uh, mentions four kingdoms, and the fourth is the Roman kingdom, but it's going to be put down, not permanently, and then come back in a revived form. And that too is going to be part of uh, the end times, which of course means the papacy. Uh, uh, also, there's a confederation of nations that come together under the Antichrist rule and out of which he emanates. And uh, so a lot of people have begun to wonder what role the EU, the European Union, plays uh, in that. We mentioned the revived Roman Empire. Another one that gets a lot of attention, and I'll, I'll say more about this, is the United States. And there are some striking parallels to the, the multiple descriptions of Babylon in the Old and New Testament alike and the United States. Um, so what does that mean? Is that just a coincidence? Uh, well, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'll try to make the case and encourage you to kind of study study this on your own and come to your own conclusion. But essentially, I believe that the, 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 the future end times Babylon is essentially a political, religious, commercial combination of several of these things. That it's kind of like in, in the United States, you know, Washington, D.C. is our geographic seat of power. However, the president, wherever he is, he rules from there. So he might be at Camp David. He might be on Air Force One. Um, you know, uh, if you remember uh, back uh, <clears throat> on 9-11, uh, in the chaos of that uh, horrific day, uh, uh, the president at the time, George W. Bush, after he finished reading a, a book about goats to some children, uh, jumped on a plane and was pretty much flying all over the place, stopping. I think he stopped in Louisiana, and then he went to here to Mount... Uh, Shine Mountain, I think, uh, and uh, but wherever he was, he was he was in charge, right? And similarly, uh, the Antichrist, who's going to be a global leader at that time, not just one nation, but leading the world, is going to have uh, an economic center. He's going to have a religious focal point. He's going to have a physical geographic headquarters, Babylon, and all of these things kind of relate uh, together. So that's where I'm headed, but as far as the United States, what I'm going to suggest is that if, in fact, the rapture were to happen in our day, like, for example, say the rapture happened today, um, which would be great, and he, no objections there, right? Um, then we can just assume the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl. We don't actually have to watch it. Uh, we, can take, we can go home to be with Jesus today. That would be okay. Um, but uh, anyway, if that were to happen today, thus... Uh, starting the clock ticking on that end times Bible prophecy, that 16% that, that we look forward to being fulfilled, uh, then the, the United States currently, there's no doubt, it is a seat of Luciferian economic power in New York City. I mean, all of the, the World Bank and all, all of these things, the UN is in New York City. Uh, there's also a great Luciferian influence in Washington, D.C., but those are just sort of the U.S. representatives of the broader Luciferian elite. Uh, but New York City really is a pivotal role. So it could be, this is pure speculation, you know, people always ask, is the United States, where, where is the United States in Bible prophecy? Is it mentioned? Well, it's not mentioned. And there are no geographic references 
that would lend one to believe that any country from the West over here plays a role. But that doesn't mean they don't, because again, there are uh, economic considerations, there are religious considerations, things like that. Uh, and if, again, if the rapture were to happen today and the United States was to still be around, uh, then it's very possible that New York City and the United States could be the Antichrist's chosen nation to be to where they put the supercomputers and track everybody where you can buy and sell with the chip and all of that kind of stuff. So it's purely speculation. The Bible doesn't tell us where that's going to be. So my answer when people say, where's the United States in Bible prophecy? We say, we don't know. But it could play a role. It could be part of the Babylon equation. I'm not going to die on that hill. I'm not, I, might, I might be maybe 60-40 uh, thinking that the United States plays that role, part of the Babylon equation, because of some of the allusions and parallels to the descriptions of Babylon that seem to fit with uh, the United States. But the reason I'm no, no stronger in my opinion about that is that if the Lord tarries his coming much longer, I don't think the United States is going to be around. I'm sorry to say that, but short of a move of God and a revival among the churches, which is what I talked about in my podcast last Tuesday, uh, I think we're, we're teetering on the brink. Uh, you know, economically, we're way underwater. Uh, we've abandoned God. We have, uh, we're abandoning our freedoms. We're shredding the Constitution. The Bill of Rights is practically gone. Uh, and it's just, it just, we don't, it doesn't seem like to me, just from an outsider looking in, that we can continue down this road for much longer. Uh, there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, Russia and China and North Korea and Iran and, you know, there's a lot of saber rattling. I mean, it wouldn't take much for, for this country to really experience a drastic change. And I don't say that as fear mongering. I hope it's not true. I love our country. I'm proud to, uh, to be an American. I'm thankful that God and His sovereignty allowed me to be born into this great free country where I can preach the Word of God like this. Uh, there's no greater country on the earth. But let's be honest, you know. Uh, sometimes you, you, you're so close that you can't, you can't smell your own stink. You know what I mean? And, and so, sometimes we have this American exceptionalism where we, we're so blindly patriotic that we, we fail to just look around and Notice the obvious. I mean, you know, this is uh, when, when hospitals won't treat you because you don't have a ID card, you know, those kind of things. You, you, you know, we're, we're, we're venturing into some pretty uh, unique territory. So all that to say, who knows? But we're going to make some observations as we go through this study of Babylon. And, uh, you know, you can come to your own conclusion. But Again, to summarize, there absolutely will be a literal rebuilt Babylon, okay? Uh, but that's not, the Antichrist's actions and power and decrees and all of the things that he does during that seven-year period are not going to be limited to that geographic location. We know, for example, as I mentioned, that the Roman Empire will be revived and Rome will be clearly the religious center. I shouldn't say clearly. We don't really know. Uh, I'm not uh, one of those who believes that the Roman Catholic Church is the end times religion. Uh, far from it. I think the end times religion, based on passages that we read like in Daniel 12, is going to be um, a more of a pluralistic religion. It has to be, because how else is he going to get, even with his great deception, everyone on earth 
to worship one God. So uh, Daniel tells us that the future Antichrist will deny the gods of his fathers. So I believe because the Roman Catholic Church is so powerful and so huge globally, it makes sense that it would be the seat of power. But already we see uh, uh, echoes of uh, uh, the Pope making overtures to you know, other uh, religions. Uh, we talked about this uh, recently. I can't remember... I think it was in here at 9 o'clock on Sundays, but I showed you some uh, evidence of a meeting that the Pope had uh, with Muslim clerics and others, and this new building that they're building, I forget where it is, uh, somewhere over in the Middle East, uh, that is going to be this one-world religion building, right? So when we say the papacy and Rome and the revived Roman Empire, think the religious influence on the world, and and don't... uh, don't misread me to think that I'm suggesting that Roman Catholicism is going to be the end times religion. Yeah. How do you feel about um, climate change and the green agenda becoming a religious um, foundation? So the question is, how do I feel about climate change uh, becoming a religion in and of itself? So as we talked about in What in the World is Going On, Climate change is just a means to an end. It's part of agenda, what is now Agenda 2030. Uh, it is a part of um, the Great Reset and, and what the World Economic Forum is pushing as a means to an end. It isn't, I mean, I guess, strictly speaking, it probably fits the definition of a religion, if you will. But as far as how it relates to the end times, it is going to be a motivation that they use to convince people to sign on to this one world system, this one world government. They've got to convince people that the sky is falling and that uh, we're in desperate need of, uh, you know, s- something, so you've got to join us. Remember the quote that I've given a few times from Rockefeller, uh, or no, I'm sorry, Kissinger, Henry Kissinger, who said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, uh, today, if the UN troops were to enter Los Angeles, Americans would, you know, cry out in horror, but if there were a global threat that was threatening the whole civilization, people would cheer the UN coming in and taking over, right? So, of course, uh, that's been their goal all along. It didn't take on the name the UN until after World War II, but they've wanted a global government, a global army, global tyranny, global religion, uh, and so I think the uh, global warming or climate change is a main deception. I talk about this briefly in, in uh, chapter 8 of my book, Great Last Day's Deception, how ever since the, the leak of the uh, secret emails and documents from the Copenhagen meeting years ago, it's been exposed that the whole thing was a fraud. The whole thing is a setup. Doesn't mean there's not really geoengineering going on, which has an adverse effect on the planet, but the notion that we need a one-world governmental system to protect us from climate change is is a lie from the devil, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so on the news this morning, they, uh, NASA announced that that telescope, the Webb telescope that they've been working on for many decades, um, successfully deployed and opened up all of its things. And their whole goal is to find the creation of the universe that happened millions and billions of years ago, which seems a little silly because you could open up your Bible and find Amen. out what yeah. But as they announced that, it was just like, is this the next Tower of Babel? 
you know, they're yeah. building something that is like they're going to find God or, yeah. or the anti-God or whatever. Well, yeah, I, I think so. The question is about uh, the announcement this morning that NASA has launched this satellite that they've been working on for many years that's supposedly going to be able to, to search out the meaning of life or the, found, the, the beginning of life and so forth, uh, origin of life. Um, and I like your comment that I mean, that's we spent trillions of dollars on that. We could have just opened our Bible, and here's the answer. Um, but uh, the Bible is the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices, so we, we certainly understand that. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would say that's uh, akin to the Tower of Babel, which was your uh, question. I, I guess in a way it kind of is, but it's just one more example of mankind under the direction of the Luciferian elite, ultimately Satan himself, trying to throw off the uh, sovereign control of the Creator and trying to be God Himself. That's what Satan did in the garden. That's what he. That's how this whole thing started. He wanted to be God. God said, "Take a hike." He said, "If I can't have heaven, I'll have the earth." Yeah. So we're talking about Babylon as a concept right now. So um, compare Babylon to Damascus. You know what? You know where Damascus stands in the end time prophecy, and, and you know just the. That's a physical city that we can see on the map today. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and by the way, we can see Babylon on the map too. It's in Iran. They're rebuilding it. So uh, way back when, uh, I'm sorry, Iraq, Saddam Hussein started uh, rebuilding it. Um, But the question is about Damascus. There are a number of cities that play a key role in the end times, uh, certain parts of it, like the Battle of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 37 and 38. And Damascus in Syria certainly is a uh, hostile enemy of Israel and will, uh, in the end times, uh, 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 work with some of these other surrounding nations and come against uh, Israel, Russia and uh, Turkey and uh, some of the others. So um, I don't think it's the seat you know, of, of any of the Antichrist's uh, leadership but it definitely is an ally of what he will be trying to do at various points through the seven-year tribulation. Yeah. Uh, just a couple comments. One, uh, one about the concept of Babylon going forward, looking at it from what we know historically in the past. Um, Babylon was, at least the Tower of Babel, was an attempt to thwart the will of God Amen. A man's attempt to, like a small child, to say, uh, you know, you know, you're not going to do this to me anymore. I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, uh, I think attempts to look at, to discover God or the works of God, is not uh, a, an attempt to thwart the will of God, like the Tower of Babel. It's an attempt to understand and seek a better understanding of God. Whereas. What, what, does it, it doesn't imply that we're trying to defeat God or try to overtake his grandeur. I mean, looking at a, at a, through a telescope at, a, at something you know, in, in the universe should inspire you to the majesty of God as opposed to, you know, it's, it, it would never make me as a person try to think, you know, oh, well, how can I use this to defeat God? I mean, but there, I'm not saying that, that doesn't occur. To yeah, so people, but. I think you're close enough that the, the mic probably picked up your question, plus you have a good, good loud voice. Okay. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but uh, just to summarize, the point is uh, 
that there is a distinction between seeking to thwart God's sovereignty and simply uh, seeking God or curiously trying to find out God. So I think it's never about what it's about. So this news report that we see this morning, that's for public consumption. There's a lot more going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. But I think you're right. I think on some level, there are just maybe even Christian uh, scientists who are you know, seeking to learn and explore the universe. Uh, they may or may not have a biblical worldview when it comes to creationism, but sadly a lot of Christians don't believe in young earth literal six-day creationism the way the Bible teaches it. But it doesn't mean they're not believers. If they've trusted in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation, they're believers. So I think on some level, absolutely that's what's going on. And, and it's, a good, it's a point worth uh, making. But I don't think for a second that that's the ultimate goal of NASA and the, the powers that be. I think they are up to something far more nefarious than, than that. I think my second comment was about the concept of Babylon in the future, is that um, Babylon in the future seems to me to be very probable to be not a generalized physical location, but a more a embodiment of man's attempt to live outside of God through his own in his own political geopolitical uh, creations. Yeah, so the comment is uh, Babylon in the future seems to be not so much a gener uh, physical location but an embodiment of evil. And what I'm saying is I think it's both. I think scripture uh, supports that viewpoint. I don't think there can be any doubt that it is a literal geographic place. Uh, literal grammatical historical hermeneutics leads you to take the Bible literally. And when it mentions Babylon in the Old Testament, we're going to look at some of those passages probably starting next week just because it'll be a good break. Uh, I don't want to get into it and then have to stop. But clearly in the Old Testament and then again in Revelation. The book of Revelation is not that complicated to understand. If the plain sense makes perfect sense, seek no other sense. There's nothing whatsoever in Revelation 14 that would give any textual clues that Babylon is meant as a figure of speech there. Uh, so uh, Babylon seems to take come on early on, not long after the Genesis 6 incident, and it, it plays a role throughout you know, 6,000 years of history, and in the end times it's going to meet its demise. Uh, so, But I think it's both. I think that uh, in the same way that you know, POTUS, the President of the United States, is the seat of power, wherever he could be on a golf course, and if needed, someone can hand him the suitcase and he can push the button. Boy, that's a scary thought with our current president. But uh, anyway, um, uh, I think similarly, Babylon is a system, and I'm going to make the case. Yeah, I think and that's what I'm saying too. That's yeah. What I think too. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a system, but I don't want to say that that is all that it is. I think it it definitely part of that system includes that geographic location in, in Iraq that's being rebuilt today. Um, any, someone else had a question? Anybody? Yeah. Oh, I just wanted to quickly mention that part of, you know, if you look at the origins of NASA, it really originates with the V2 rocket program with the Nazis and how they borrowed those scientists. And so, and their goal was we can, we can begin life elsewhere. And, you know, Elon Musk kind of grabs onto that. And there's, there's a lot of people who, there is a, a little bit of a sense of let's get above what God can do or above, you know, build something else. We can do whatever we want. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, 
And that's really the point that I was that I was trying to make too. I, it's kind of like, you know, we talk about the CIA, and we've talked about this in several of my series already, um, in that uh, chart of the Luciferian conspiracy diagram. Um, not everybody that works at the CIA right. is in on the game, right? It's a need-to-know basis. So there's some God-fearing, patriotic, wonderful people that have a job that get a paycheck from the CIA. It doesn't mean they're evil. They don't understand what at the top tier is going on. And I would say the same thing is true about any government agency, including NASA. But you're right. We didn't just borrow those scientists from Russia. Those atheistic, communistic, uh, evil, murderous people, some of them, to make a show, got uh, put to death at the Nuremberg trials. The rest of them were brought over here, most of them to Birmingham, Alabama, and were given six-figure jobs, which in the 40s, that was a ton of money, put up in beautiful new homes, given titles like Werner von Braun and some of these others, and the evil technology that they were using over there to try to defeat anybody that would follow God, any Western nation that was God-fearing, became embedded within who we are today, and they're still here today. So, I mean, that's Operation Paperclip was the term in which they... Uh, they secretly, obviously, they didn't want to put it on the, you know, cover of the news because these were evil war criminals, you know. But some of the war criminals got their just desserts. Other of them got rewarded handsomely to come <laughs> yeah. Got dessert, yeah. <laughs> so Porsche, Mercedes, Volkswagen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There you go. That's 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 exactly what we're talking about. So Porsche, Mercedes, and, and uh, Volkswagen. He said. I don't know why anybody would drive a Volkswagen. No, I'm just kidding. We have two Volkswagens. So anyway. Um, yeah, that's right. All right. Uh, anybody else? We're just about out of time. This is a good uh, good discussion. Good to kind of, hopefully I, hopefully you feel like it was good to kind of kickstart and get going back again with our study of the end times. But yeah, Gary. The first point talks about the literal rebuilt Babylon. And you mentioned that Sodom and Satan started to rebuild Babylon. Feel that that will be the location of this future Babylon? Yes, so the question is is the area where Saddam Hussein was rebuilding Babylon the area that it will be? Yes, what I'm saying is that biblically there's only one Babylon geographically and it hasn't moved. And in the same way that Rome and the Roman Empire will be revived, that city will be rebuilt. And where he was building it was the original city of Babylon that's talked about all the way back in Genesis. So I'm saying there will be a literal rebuilt, and thanks for asking that question because it allows me to clarify, rebuilt the city of Babylon. Not that they're going to build a headquarters somewhere in, you know, North Carolina or let's say California, uh, but that, but it's going to be a, you know, the actual city of Babylon will rise from the ashes is what I'm saying. Good question. Anybody else? All right. Well, awesome. We'll have a good uh, break now. And uh, for those of you watching online, uh, we will start the live stream again at a around 1025, 1030, give or take five or 10 minutes. Uh, for those of you here, we'll take a break and we'll start our service at 10 o'clock uh, here at Blum Creek Chapel. Thanks. Saddam is 